Take your Bibles, turn to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. We're actually going to hit a lot of verses, but this is one you ought to have. Uh, it's central to what we're going to talk about, and uh, it is one you ought to have marked and noted in your scripture or in your Bible if you haven't already. We're going to uh, end this series today, but let me tell you this. We're starting a series next week that's going to be one of the longest series I've ever done. It's going to be 11 weeks long, almost three months long, and it's going to be over one thing. It's going to be over the man Jesus Christ. We're going to spend 11 weeks starting when he went public in, in meeting John the Baptist. And we're going to go through all the way through to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And look at his life and teaching during that period of time. And it's going to lead us right up to Easter where we celebrate the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So for 11 weeks we're just going to look at the, at the man and the mission of Jesus Christ. And so it's going to be, a, it's going to be a, a fun series. I hope you join us with that. Today we bring this one to a close, and here's what I want to do. You know, each week you try to add something to it, but I, this is kind of different today. Is I Really what I want to do is there's two themes that have kind of woven them through themselves through the fabric of this series. And I want to go back and just kind of, for one last time, to drill down on both of those themes because they are the big takeaways not just out of the series, but I think out of a, a, a majority of the teaching of the Bible, that these are some of the things that God desires to birth in your heart and in your mind. And, and there's two themes. And the first one is this. We've said it every single week. And that is this. The landscape of your tomorrow is shaped by the choices that you make today. That so much of your tomorrow is constructed by the decisions you're making right now. And we, we tend to think that our everyday decisions really have a minimal impact on our tomorrow. We tend to think that our, our, our decisions today, our everyday decisions today, kind of have effect upon today, but they don't have a big effect on, on tomorrow. It's, it's the big decisions that we make. Maybe a big decision we, have, we make today, that has a huge impact on tomorrow, and, and, or, or, or circumstances that are out of our control. Circumstances can come, and they can have a big impact on what our tomorrow looks like. So we tend to think it's our big decisions and our big circumstances come. That's what's controlled tomorrow. And half of that, my circumstances, I don't really control. So there's not a whole lot of attention tomorrow because there's not a whole lot I control. When in reality, the opposite is the, is the truth. The big decisions that you make in life, they have a big decisions on today, on you emotionally and mentally. And they have, and I'm not saying they don't, they have a impact over the long term of your life, but they're not the impact of your tomorrow. The same thing with your circumstances. You can have circumstances brought into your life that can have a monstrous impact on your right now, on your today, good or bad. They can have a mental, emotional, physical, and, and even a financial impact on your right now. But on the, on the long term of your life, big circumstances that come have a impact, but they don't have the impact. They aren't the thing that defines your future. See, we must never forget that we are the sum total of all the choices we make in life. We are not the sum total of one big decision or one big set of circumstances, but you are the sum total of all the decisions, all the choices that you make in life. Who you are today is not so much a result of who you wanted to be. Maybe you are who you wanted to be today. Maybe you're not. But who you are today is not really a result of who you wanted to be in the past. It's the result of the sum total of all the decisions that you've made from this point and before. 
And who you're going to end up being is not necessarily who you want to be or dream to be or desire to be. Who you're going to end up being is the sum total of all the choices you make now to the future, building upon the choices that you've made in your past. Because ultimately who you are is the sum total of the choices that you make in life. That's why every decision matters. Every decision matters. Not just the big decisions, but every decision matters. Your decision to be here today, to open up your heart and mind to the Scripture, matters. But as well, your decision to let other people's opinion or approval define what you do and how you look and what you say and where you go, that matters. That decision that you make, you're making that one a lot. The decision that you make to, <clears throat> to, to how you allocate your money matters. The decision that you make about what kind of vocabulary you use in life matters. The decision what you do in, in a situation that everybody will see or, or the decision what you do when nobody sees matter. Every decision of your life matters. Because who you are today, who you will be in the future, is the sum total of the choices that you make in life. That is why statements like this are true. You are not your worst moment. You're not. Your worst moment was your worst moment. It was a result of a choice that you made, and it was your worst moment. And it has an impact because every choice you have in life has an impact. It has an impact on your life. But you are not your worst moment. You are the sum total of the choices you make in life. If you keep continually making bad decisions and creating more moments like that, yeah, that's, that's who you're going to be. But you can have a worst moment in your life and turn around and make better decisions. In the long run, you're going to be the sum total of the choices you make in life. You're also not your best moment. Your best moment was when you did something and you really excelled at it. You made a decision and you really made a great decision and did well. And that was great. And that is a part of shaping who you are. Yes. But you can have a great moment. And a lot of times we do and we want to keep pointing back and saying, yeah, yeah, this is who I am, this is who I am. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Who you are is not just that great moment. It's the sum total of all the choices you make in life. And sure, if that great moment is built upon another great moment and another great moment and those continues, then maybe you are that great moment. But it's not just because of that moment, it's because of the moments that came with it and after it. Because you are, you will be the sum total of choices you make in life. That's why tomorrow is not build, being constructed in the future. Tomorrow is being constructed right now. But we don't tend to get this. Because you look and and just how we live, we live as if our everyday decisions don't matter. And what it just says is we don't get that our tomorrow is being constructed today. Now, God gets this. And that is why there's something in Scripture that God is very, very dramatic about us obtaining. And the reason God is dramatic about it is because he knows it impacts our decision-making process. And he knows if I can help you get better decisions, then I can help you become a better you. And he's so much more dramatic about us obtaining it than we are about pursuing it. And I want to show you this. And I, I want to show you a bunch of scripture about it, and then we'll go back and kind of wrap it up all in this thought. But Solomon wrote Proverbs, and this is what he says in Proverbs chapter 4. We'll get to 8 in a minute. But this is what he says in Proverbs chapter 4. The beginning of wisdom is this. Here's the beginning of wisdom. What is it? Get wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Though it cost you all you have, get understanding. Now, the first thing he says this. Here's something that wise people get. People that are starting to get wise, 
not just smart, but wise, here's what they get, that wisdom is the key, that that's what you got to get. Wisdom doesn't give you understanding to get other things. What wisdom causes you to see more than anything else is, is to get more wisdom. And then he goes on, and think about how dramatic this is. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. He says this, hey, invest in the growth of your wisdom, not just your intellect, but invest in the growth of your wisdom. Be intentional, be passionate about the growth of wisdom. And even if that process costs you, even if it costs you a significant amount of time, even if you have to sacrifice a lot of time to pursue it, energy to pursue it, inconvenience to pursue it, money to pursue it, hey, sacrifice it, spend it, invest it. Invest in your pursuit of wisdom because it will be an investment that will return a great return for you. Even if it costs you all you have, how dramatic is that? Pursue it. Get understanding. Now, that begs a question, doesn't it? When you think about how strong that statement is, if I were to walk up to you this morning and I would have read you that verse and, and then just said, you know, God says do whatever it takes to grow in wisdom. Invest whatever you have to invest to grow wisdom. And even if it requires you to really make some sacrifice with time and energy and money, then do it. So, so here's my question with you. Since this is what God said, I read you the verse. This is what God says. Tell me, what are, you in, what are you doing? What is your plan? What are you intentionally doing to grow in wisdom? I bet you have a plan to grow your finances and plan to grow in relationships and plan to grow in maybe a skill you have, maybe a hobby you have. You, know, you want to get better. But God says, listen, this is so important that if it costs you everything you have, you know, let it, spend it. If it's that important, then surely we have a plan, right? So what is your plan to heighten your wisdom? What is your wisdom acquisition strategy? Not only is it there, but Solomon writes it later. In Proverbs chapter 8, he, he, he's, he becomes dramatic in a poetic form talking about how important wisdom is. And he likens wisdom to a very strong woman. Proverbs chapter 8, picking up with verse number 1, it says this. Does not wisdom call and understanding lift her voice? On top of the heights beside the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Besides the ga- beside the gates, at the opening of the city, at the entrance of the door, she cries out, To you, O man, I call. And my voice is to the sons of men. O naive one, understand prudence, and O fools, understand wisdom. Listen, for I will speak noble things, and the opening of my lips will reveal right things. For my mouth will utter truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the utterances of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing crooked or perverted in them. They are all straightforward to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Knowledge is referring to wisdom. Take my instruction, not silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all desirable things cannot compare with her. That's dramatic, isn't it? 
I mean, that's strong, him saying there, you can want, and I, I tell you, if I had you give you the top ten list of things you want in life, there'd be all kinds of things on there. You know? Some of you, you know, you want something dramatic. You want a, you want a Porsche. You want a better lifestyle. You want that. Some of you just want a date, right? I mean, it could be all kinds of things that you want in life. But God looked and said, you know what you should have is number one. Above everything else you could have, desirable thing in this world, number one on your list should be wisdom. I mean, that's, that's strong. That's dramatic. And we can't forget the New Testament. James says this. He says, listen, if you don't have wisdom, here's what you do. Ask God for it. And by the way, if you want to know what God's response is going to be already, I'll tell you ahead of time. It's already a yes before you ask. James chapter 1, verse 5 says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives gener- generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And those are just a few places that I could go to. And, but but I want you, what you, I want you to notice is just how dramatic the call is. How almost, let's say it, let's label it, how extreme he is saying we should value wisdom. Why? Why is God, why, why is God just saying, you know, you ought to pursue wisdom? Why so extreme? More valuable than all the desirable things. If it costs you everything, go and get it. Why so dramatic? Because of two reasons. God gets it that we don't. God understands that wisdom is the building block to better decisions. Wisdom is the DNA to better choices. And our tomorrow is being constructed today by what? Our hopes and dreams? No. Our tomorrow is being constructed today by the decisions and the choices that we make. He wants for you the absolute best future possible. And he knows in order that to happen, it's not about what you hope and dream for. It's about the choices that you're making right now. And so that's why he's being dramatic, because what's at stake is who you're going to be in the future. The other reason why he's dramatic is this. Wisdom's not automatic. I mean, you don't have to be dramatic in telling people to risk everything and to spend everything they have in order to obtain it if it's automatic. You don't tell somebody to, you constantly tell somebody to breathe unless, what, they're not breathing, right? Because why? Breathing's automatic. No, you go great at links to challenge somebody to pursue and to strive for and to try to get those things that are so valuable but are not automatic. And wisdom is something in your life that is not automatic. You can be a Christian and lack wisdom. You can be incredibly smart and intellectual and be a fool. You can be old and have experienced a lot of things, which can bring wisdom, but you can be old and yet still be unwise. And if you don't have wisdom, no matter what you want your tomorrow to look like, you simply will not have the DNA, the building blocks to build the tomorrow that you want today. You won't have it. So, I ask you again. What is your wisdom acquisition strategy? Now, here's where a lot of communicators and speakers would say, and now let me give you the five elements of wisdom, right? Let me give you the five things you must do in order to be wise. That would be great. And you can probably find a book that says that. But here's what I've discovered. Wisdom, it would be great if we could learn wisdom in that kind of institutional, clinical type of setting. But I find that wisdom isn't always very clinical. The, the growth of wisdom isn't always orderly. It's not always pretty, and many times it comes through very messy things in life. 
And so it's, it's really hard to sit there and say, well, here's the five things. If you do these five steps, you will absolutely be wise because wisdom is it's not like a road we pave. It's almost like a, a river that just finds its way and at times it changes its course of how it gets to us. But I will say this. I think, though there's not five steps or five things I gave you, I think there are some attitudes that we can develop within our life that will help us spot and see wisdom when it comes. And, and here's, here's just three. Let me give them to you real quick. The first one is this. Always be a learner. Always be a learner. Always sit there and say, what can I learn? Always be asking, what can I learn? Always be a learner. Whether it is in the classroom, or not just there, but when it's in talking with people, just casual conversations, serious uh, conversations, always be asking, what can I learn of this? Whether it's through circumstances, experiences we go to, good or bad, always be asking, what can I learn? When it's sitting down and reading the scripture, be asking, what can I learn? When you're just sitting in an airport waiting to catch a plane to go on your next business trip and you're looking around at the diversity of people and the conversations and all that's going around, just be in that city, what can I learn? And everywhere you go and every conversation you have and every relationship, every circumstance, every encounter you have, what you should be saying is, I want to learn. I want to learn. What can I learn from this moment? Because here's what I've discovered. The people that I would point to and say are very, very wise, here's what I've discovered about them. They ask more questions than they make statements in life. And what that's a sign of is that they never get to a, point, a place in, uh, in life where they stop learning. They're learners. Learners always ask more questions than they make statements. And if you want to grow in wisdom, one of the attitudes you can nurture in your life is just always be a learner. Always have that on the forefront. What can I learn? What can I learn? What can I learn? Learn from someone older than you. Learn from someone younger than you. Just always be a learner. The second attitude is this, is always seek God in everything. Seek God in everything. God is the author of wisdom. And God is active in and around us all the time. Before you get to a place, God is already there. I had an old guy used to always tell me, Jerry, you can't go somewhere. God's not already there. God is already ahead of you, and he is active, and he is doing his thing. And so in every situation, someone that's growing in wisdom, one of the things that, that you could do to nurture that is to be someone and say, God, where are you in this? Where are you in this? Whether it's in your work and something, where they got, help me to say, where are you in this moment? Whether it's in a conversation, maybe it's a good one, maybe it's a tense conversation and conflict. God, where are you in this? In your parenting, God, where are you in this? In, 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 in your church and you're sitting here listening to the scripture, God, where are you in this? Constantly be saying, God, I know you're at work and you have things you want to show me and you above everyone else want me to grow in wisdom. So God, where are you in this moment? And everywhere you go, in every environment you walk into, be asking the question, God, where are you in this? Where are you in this? Because the more you see what God is doing in various environments, the more that moment will increase and grow your wisdom. So always be a learner. Always be looking for where God is in every moment of life. And the final thing is, is always be hungry for wisdom and never neglect it. Long to be wise. That's probably above everything else. It's kind of what he said there in Proverbs 8. The beginning of wisdom is to get this. It's just a long for wisdom. And never ignore it. Never neglect it. Long to be wise more than you long to be liked. Long to be wise more than you long to be right. Long to be wise more than you long to be popular or approved. Long to be wise. 
You see, I, these aren't necessarily five steps. Or, you know, they're just five attitudes, or three attitudes, excuse me. Three attitudes that I, I've just found in people that are very, very wise. Three attitudes that you can nurture and that are found in the hearts of men and women who are growing deep in wisdom. I hope you have great hopes and dreams of the future. And I don't want to discount that because they can affect the decisions that you make. That's the power of them. They affect the decisions that you make. But if you ask me where I, thought you're, where I think you're going to end up, it's not so much I want to know what your, what your hopes and dreams are. I want to know what you're using to make your decisions. What decisions, you know, what's the basis of your, what kind of decisions that you're making? Because what I know to be true is that who you'll end up being, what your tomorrow will look like, will be the sum total of the choices you make in life. The landscape of your tomorrow is shaped by the choices that you make today. That, that, that is one takeaway from this series that I don't want you to miss. The second one is, is this one, and that is this, don't be afraid to be great. Don't be afraid to be great. I, I've said that. I said it from week number one, and I've said it because I believe it. There is greatness in every one of you. And, and the reason I say that is because every one of you was created in the image of the divine, and there is residue of his divinity in every one of you. The question is not whether that is true. The question is, do you believe that it's true? Do you believe? that there is greatness in every one of you. Now then, what that greatness looks like is unique to all of us. To some of us, the greatness that is in your future is something that that is going to be loud and is going to thrust you in front of people and people are going to know it and see it and maybe even applaud it and some will criticize it. But but it will be your great greatness and it's going to be shining and it's going to impact a lot of people. For others of you, your greatness is something that is that is, that is still great, but it's something that's not loud. It's something that is the influence on a person or organization or maybe one or two lives where you drill down deep in the influence you have on them to move forward in what they could be. And it's just your greatness being poured out into someone else. I mean, it's unique. Every one of us, our greatness that is in us and how it will move forward is unique. Sometimes your greatness is going to find you. You weren't looking for it. You weren't after it. You were just living your life, and somehow you were thrust maybe on the stage or thrust into some circumstances, thrust into a moment, and all of a sudden you just connected with it, and your greatness was shown in that moment. Others of you, you found your greatness. God birthed in you a dream, a passion, a desire, and you grabbed, you chased after it, you grabbed hold of it, and you held it, and when there's People saying, give up, give up. And when the circumstances said, give up, give up, you didn't give up on it. And it was like a flame that was lit inside of you. And sometimes the wind of circumstances blew so big, you're wondering if it would be extinguished. But it wasn't. You wouldn't allow it. And it was just waiting for its moment. And when its moment came, it went from a small flame to an inferno. You found your greatness. And all that's unique to all of us. And I don't know what your path to the greatness that is in you will look like and what that greatness looks like when it is realized, when it takes and burns bright. But I do know there is greatness in you. 
you're not just a product of biology. You are the spiritual offspring of the creator who does everything he does with purpose. And there is purpose behind your existence. So don't be afraid to be great. Don't you dare be afraid to be great. So there's greatness in all of us, and the path is unique to every one of us, but I will say this, is that there is a common denominator that you find in people who, is, who have connected with the greatness that God has put in them. Sure, all of us are unique, and our roads are unique to what that greatness will look like and what it will do and all that, but there is something that is found in every person that connects with the greatness that God has put in them, and, and here it is. It's very simple. They expected it. They expected it. They expected some greatness in their life. They, they believed that they were created in the image of the divine. There's residue of that divinity within them, and they just expected it. They didn't sit back and hope and wait and wonder, maybe something will happen one day. No, they expected it. They looked to God. They looked to this world. They looked at other people and say, what's next? What's now? Where are we going? Because there's greatness in my future. They said, I can't wait to see what God has prepared and, and has stored for me because I know who I was creating the image of. And he is a great God. And the residue of his divinity, of his greatness is in me. And so I know there is something that God has prepared, something that God will call me to. There is greatness. And they just have this expectation, not the, well, I wonder, I hope. And we see it. We see it in so many of the people of the Bible who really lived their greatness. Like David. Remember David? I'm going to read you several just statements by some of the people in the Bible. And I'm not so interested in you hearing the content of what they said. I want you to hear the expectation in what they said. I don't necessarily concern with, you know, exactly what they're saying. I want you to hear the heart of expectation that is wrapped up in what they said. David, when he shows up and he hears Goliath mouthing, 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 this is what he says. See if you don't hear the heart of a man who's expecting greatness. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Do you hear that? Do you hear that he just kind of expected something great? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego talk about a situation where all hope is lost. A situation where they thought, you know, greatness has escaped us. Maybe greatness was in our past, not in our future. They were taken away as slaves. They were in another land. They were the conquered ones. And, and, and there was this image that was set up, and the king of this foreign land said, hey, you got a choice. You either bow to the idol I've set up and worship it and not your God, or you die. And you die a very painful way, we're going to throw you into the furnace. Now, if someone said to you, give up everything that you believe is right, or I'm going to kill you, how easy in that moment, and, I have, and you know this person has the ability to, and the resolve to do it. At that moment, how easy would it be to give up your expectation that there's something great in, go, through your life, that there's greatness in you? No. But listen to what these three said. And don't, not so much about the words, but listen to the expectation in the words. Daniel chapter 3, 
verse 16 through 18. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to, the, to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. And I love this. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty. We will not serve your gods or worship the image of God you have set up. There's just this expectation, hey, there's something going to happen. We're not giving up on the belief that there is greatness within us. Then there is this time when Israel, the people, they were defeated, they were under threat, they had just gone through a lot, and they just had lost a sense that there was greatness within them as a people. And, and tough times can bring you to that point. And Isaiah stands up, and basically he says, and don't, what he says to them is, don't be afraid to be great. Don't be afraid to greet. He also used the imagery of a woman. And, and this time, he used the imagery of a woman who's been abused and mistreated and says, oh, I know that's where you are, but don't let it steal your sense of greatness. Don't be afraid to be great. Listen, again, not so much to the words, but listen to what he's saying and how he's challenging them not to be afraid to be great. Isaiah chapter 54, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6, says this. Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song. He's, the nation, he's treating them like they're this woman. Burst into song. Shout for joy, you who, who were never in labor. Because more are the children of the dissolute woman, he's talking about Israel, than of her, this is other nations, of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the, left, to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace, for you will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit, a wife who married young only to be rejected, says your God. What's he saying? I know what you're going to but don't you be afraid to be great. Even Jonah. We all know the story of Jonah and the big fish and all that, but one thing you may not have picked up on that story is Jonah was a raving racist. He was a racist, unashamed, not holding it back, not hiding it. He was absolutely a racist. He hated the Ninevite people. And one of his big struggles was what? God said, hey, I want you to go down to these people, and I want you to tell them about me. This is the greatness that is in you. This is what I want you. This is your moment to let your greatness shine. And Jonah goes, no. And know why he said no? Because he said, God, I know what you have the uh, potential to do. I know what you could do through me. I know what if my greatness in this moment shines out and you take out, I know what could happen. You could change these people. And I don't want these people changed because I can't stand them. And ends up, God got him there. And at the end of the story, he's even moaning a little bit because what he thought would happen 
happens. Even in his racism, in his negativity, what he had was an expectation of what could happen. He had an expectation of greatness. Even in his worst moment. You find that in every person that really had lives that reached a level of greatness. One of the things that, and, and for all of them, it's different. But one thing that is common in all of them is that they expected it. Do you expect, do you expect that God is going to do something great in and through your life? Do you believe that God created you to do something great? Do you believe that? Not just do you believe, do you expect it? Because the history contained in this book teaches us that greatness is seen in the lives of people who expected it. It's not arrogance, it is just basically understanding that you are created in the image of the greatest being of the earth and the residue of his greatness is in you. And I know, I know, I know. When you look at your life, it seems pretty ordinary, right? And then you add to that, you clear, you know, it's amazing how we have multicolored clarity to our failures of the past. And you see how you have failed in the past. And you see that. And then you know your sin well. You know your inadequa- inadequacies perfectly. And you just... It gets you to a place of saying, that sounds good, but it's not me. Maybe it's thee, but it's not me. There's nothing great about me. Hmm. Every time you say that to yourself, every time you embrace that kind of thinking, you're choosing, you're making a choice. Remember how important choices are? You're choosing to believe the lies of hell over the grace and power of heaven. That's your choice. But your choices are going to shape your future. Because your potential for greatness is not so much wrapped up and is not a result of you or what you've done or your skill. But it's really the result of what God, by His grace, has put in you. What He has ordained for you. And what he has made possible through you. Do you expect that there is something awesome in your future? Because that's a key to experiencing and connecting with it. Because I believe there's greatness in you. I tell you, don't be afraid to be great because it's there. But it just seems that the key that unlocks it in so many of the people of Scripture as if God is trying, tells this story over and over, as if God is trying to say, this is the key, this is the key, is that you find that the people who experienced it, they believed it. They expected it. They chased after it. And they didn't give up on it or up on themselves or up on God until they saw it become a reality. Don't be afraid to be great. Two themes that have woven themselves through this series that are related. Tomorrow is being built right now by the choices that you make. And one of the most critical choices that you make is to not be afraid to be great.